Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Tina, for that reading. And good morning, everybody. It's, it's good to be able to be with you today and, and share today. And um, yeah, we're finishing this short series that we started a few weeks ago. Um, it's been three, it'll be three week, three part series on worship. And as I've been saying, it's a, a huge topic um, that definitely cannot be covered in, in three weeks. And there's, there's a lot that could be said, a lot in Scripture. But trying to sort of take a snapshot and, and some big themes um, around this idea of worship. So I'll give a quick recap um, and then we'll get into this week. So a couple of weeks ago, we said to start with that worship starts not actually with us, but with God. It starts with seeing him and the revelation of who he is. And so I so it's so great when, when um, we, we sing songs, as we've been doing today, that just remind us of his characteristics and remind us of who he is and, and what he's like. And, and when we see that afresh, that, that's where we start. We actually have to see him. And, and what we talked about was Isaiah's vision in the temple of seeing that God is high on a throne. He's holy. The whole earth reflects his glory. We also talked about he's also humble and that he would go to the cross for us. Then we respond, and last week we talked about the idea of sacrifice as a response, not to atone for sin. Jesus has done that, but we offer a sacrifice of ourselves, as we read, of a living sacrifice. And we offer a sacrifice of continual praise to God in good times and in hard times. And, and even our care for each other is, in the New Testament is viewed as a sacrifice of worship. So worship is not just singing, but even the way that we serve each other. And in many ways, sort of the, the, the truth, there's some true principles in, in this that are not just true of Christians as, or people coming to a gathering to worship, but are actually true of everybody. Actually, in life, everybody worships something because everybody has something that is ultimate, of ultimate worth in their life. So not just, we're not just worshiping here. People at the shops today are worshiping a lot of stuff, right? Um, whatever is most ultimate is what you worship, and everyone's a worshiper. Everyone offers sacrifices, because whatever is most ultimate in your life is what you will sacrifice for. You will give up other things for that thing. Something has to be ultimate, and we offer sacrifices for that ultimate thing. And what we're going to look at today is that whatever we worship and sacrifice for is actually what we will become like. Actually, worship changes us and transforms us as Christians, but actually anyone who's worshiping, it will transform them to what, into whatever they are worshiping. So worship is actually a battle, and it's a battle because we're around a lot of different worshipers, and whatever we worship will make us like them, which is why in, in Romans, after Paul talks about responding with sacrifice, he then says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So we're to see who God is, respond to him, but then there's also a need to recognize that there's other gods people are worshiping, and if we're a worshiper of the one true God, we must not worship other gods. And this is a key theme throughout um, the Old Testament particularly and the New Testament, that worship is not a neutral issue. There's no decision whether to worship or not. It's whether you worship God or worship idols. That's the two choices, and there's no neutral ground. And it's not a harmless decision. It's, it, it's not just, oh, well, that's your preference to worship that God. I worship this God. It's not a harmless decision because the decision will impact who we become. And if we worship idols, we become like them. Actually, it says this in Psalm 115. Um, the psalmist is writing about um, statues that people worship and bow down to and how they have eyes but can't see and noses but can't smell. They, they have all these things but actually can't do anything. And then he says, those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust them. So 
idolatry is not a neutral thing. It's a core battle. And part of the reason why it's such a huge battle in the Old Testament, and the thing that God says again and again to his people in the Old Testament, is don't worship other gods. All right. like it comes up again and again. And what was the downfall of Israel? Is that they worshipped other gods. And it's not because they just bowed down to a statue. It's because they made something else other than God ultimate, and then they started to become like that thing. And the devastation that happens in the Old Testament of injustice and and oppression and evil is a reflection of the gods that they were worshipping. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a neutral issue. It's a really core issue. So if we worship other things than God, it's actually detrimental to our humanity. It's actually dehumanizing because we're made to worship the one who is worthy. So as worshippers, we actually must resist worshipping other gods. We're actually in a battle of worship where there's no neutral ground. Um, so interesting, in Jesus' own life, he faced this battle. And in his temptations, when Satan came to him, his temptation, the last one, was an issue of worship. We see this in Matthew 4, 8 to 10. It says, The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. When Satan comes to Jesus, what does he ultimately want? He wants Jesus' worship. He wants to be ultimate. And he promises Jesus the world. He promises Jesus to avoid the cross, but he must worship Satan. And Jesus passes and resists this test. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus resists this temptation to worship other gods. He, again, at other times says you cannot worship two gods. Something has to be ultimate. And Yahweh, the one true God, the Lord, is the only one who's worthy of worship. On this, um, Tim Keller, there's this great quote, um, kind of explains this a bit more. He says, sin is not only doing bad things, it's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. Again, the issue of sin is, is falling short from God's standard, but the first thing we're to do as, as humans is we're made to know and worship and reflect God. And then Adam and Eve attempted to listen to a lie about God, end up in idolatry, which leads to sin and the destruction that comes. So there's a core issue in life of a, a battle in worship, and actually who we worship actually changes us. So it's so important to not worship other gods. Again, this kind of doesn't always hit home. Uh, I think that Tim Keller quote is helpful because he's saying, well, actually, it's putting anything in the place of God, even a good thing. It's not necessarily bowing down to a statue. Like Some people might do that, but for many of us, that is a foreign thing. We're not in danger of bowing down to a statue. But we are in danger of putting other things, even good things, in the ultimate place of life and actually worshipping them. Some things that people worship in our culture are money, Again, not a bad thing, but when it's an ultimate thing, it's destructive. It's not meant to be ultimate. It's not our God. Pleasure, for some people, is their God. It's the ultimate thing. Another one is even freedom. Some people worship freedom. It's the ultimate thing. And it's interesting because when freedom is ultimate, it's actually enslaving. 
But when Jesus is ultimate, there's freedom. The freedom is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. Jesus is the ultimate one. Some people worship technology. Some people worship their country or their nation. And many people, and ultimately most idolatry, it ends up as worship of ourselves, that we worship and place ourselves as ultimate rather than God. So as worshipers, we must resist worshiping other gods because it's a battle, it's a core issue, and it actually will affect us because we will become like the one that we worship. In Romans 2, though, then we're kind of mostly just going to go through this verse in Romans 12:2 today and unpack it with some other scriptures. It first says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. So there's a need to resist worshiping other gods or the world's patterns of worship. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's actually something that happens as we offer ourselves to God and resist other gods that actually we are transformed and renewed. Um, in the verse just before, he says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and now he says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So this, the, our response to God is, is a holistic response. Uh, we offer our whole selves, and here particularly he talks about our mind that needs to be transformed. This is why truth is so important in our worship. And again, it starts with revelation of the truth about God. We need to recognize and remind ourselves and, and, uh, and meditate on the, the truth about who He is and what He's done. And as we do that, it actually transforms our understanding of reality. It actually changes us and aligns us to true reality. And if we become like what we worship, then it's really important that we become like the true God and we know Him in truth. So truth and actually transforms us and renews us as we study scriptures, as, as we sing songs of truth, as, as we meditate on the story of the Bible. But it's also the Spirit who transforms us. Um, in 2 Corinthians 3, there's this great verse Paul's writing. He says, The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is transforming us more and more, that we are people who reflect God's glory to each other. That's, that's what He's doing. So the Spirit reveals God and transforms us. And as, as we come to, to sing and, and to worship, um, it's, th- th- that's a form that we use, right? We use a form of, of songs um, that people know and, and we gather in a building. This is all form, but the, the substance, the thing that matters is that we're engaging with the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is present, that we're worshiping by the Spirit. And actually, as we do that, we are renewed. As worshipers, we are to be renewed by Spirit and truth. Jesus talks about this as well, and um, when he's in a conversation that turns to worship, um, with the um, woman of Samaria, and he says this, this famous um, line, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So we're called to come to God in worship by the power of the spirit, and its power of the spirit actually then transforms us to reflect His glory. We're called to come to God in truth, knowing the truth about who He is, with truth in our hearts, not not pretense, not just outward displays, but from our inner hearts. And the truth in our mind transforms us and renews us as well. We're actually 
positioning in ourselves um, to be changed and to meet God and to encounter God and to be renewed. Um, hopefully that happens um, when, when we come on, on Sundays even, even in small ways, that by gathering and by being together in God's presence, there's something renewing about that, that, that refreshes us in our love for God and, and um, encourages us at the week ahead. And maybe sometimes that happens in more powerful ways, when maybe you've encountered God in a, in a deep way that brings renewal and transformation. And I shared about um, some of the testimony a couple of months ago of when um, God spoke to me powerfully into an issue I was struggling with around my ministry and, and, a, and a journey of being half-hearted and reluctant over years. And I was, was praying and, and wrestling for a long time and, and struggling. And then it was in a gathering of worship with friends in a, in a context of the Spirit there that I confessed in truth and repented, and I was changed. Like, I actually felt the next day that I was different. Some, something happened. It was, it was renewing. Um, actually, by, by seeking God and being positioned by His grace, he, he brought a renewal in my heart, and now I'm good. Like, like that, that issue that was there, in many ways, has been resolved. Um, and you may have stories of that as well, that actually, sometimes in our struggles, we want God to take the struggle away, and that's good. But sometimes the primary need is to be renewed by His presence, by encountering Him and meeting Him in the midst of it, and He can actually change us. So as worshippers, we are to be renewed by spirit and truth, to actually become more and more like Him, having the rivers of living water that Jesus talked about in that, near that passage as well. And ultimately, this leads then to reflecting Him. Um, that last part of this Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't worship other gods. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be renewed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Effectively, then we will be able to do God's will in the earth. Then we'll be able to reflect His goodness. Then we'll be able to honor Him in the way that we live. And this goes right back to the start of the story of the Bible, that as humans, that's our purpose, is to be God's image. We're to reflect God's goodness and beauty. We're to rule the creation and cultivate it as an act of worship that demonstrates just how great this generous God who made everything is. Um, this is why idolatry is such a core issue, because we're made to represent God as the one we worship. So if we worship other gods, we represent them, which is, which is not God's plan or intentions. Um, we're to be like the moon, reflecting the sun. God is the sun, and we're to reflect His glory as we look at Him, as we encounter Him in our lives. People are meant to be able to look at humans and say, that's what God is like. And sadly, that's not been the story of humans, but it is the story of Jesus. As worshippers, we are to reflect His goodness and glory, and the story of the Bible is that we fell short of that that we didn't live up to that call, that we exchanged that for other gods that led to destruction. But God's plan was that He would come as a human and actually fulfill that calling of humans in that Jesus resisted worshipping other gods. Jesus lived by the power of the Spirit, totally faithful to His Father and worshipped His Father alone. And Jesus to perfectly reflected God. So now when we look at Jesus, we see what God is like which is God's intention for humanity. And it's so amazing, that passage that we read out before. What does that look like? Jesus, who is so secure in the truth about who God is and who He is, 
What does he do? We saw that in John 13. Jesus knew the Father had put everything under his power, that he'd come from God, was returning to God. He knew that. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You wouldn't put those two things together normally, right? Jesus knew he was from God. He knew all things were under his authority, right? He's, he's the one who's perfectly representing God's image. So what does he do? He washes feet. That's crazy. He's the highest, and he takes the position as the lowest. Then later on, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. If he is ultimate, if he's the ultimate one, if he's the Lord, he's the one we worship, and he's a servant, then what are we to look like? How are we to reflect him and his goodness? And he says that. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We're to reflect our God. Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, what does he do? He comes as a humble servant. He gives himself in sacrificial love because that's what God is like. That's the heart of God we see on the cross. So as his image bearers, as people who worship him as ultimate, what are we then to look like as we reflect? As humble servants who give ourselves in love. The one we worship is a servant. So our worship needs to make us greater servants. The one we worship gave himself in sacrificial love. So our worship needs to transform us to give ourselves more in sacrificial love. The one we worship, the Father, gave his only son, his, his, his most prized possession. He's incredibly generous. So if we're worshiping him and being renewed and transformed to be like him, we should be some of the most generous people. The one we worship, Jesus, has conquered death and is alive and reigns. So if we're worshiping him, we have no need to fear or be worried, but are to be people of peace and faith. Our worship enables us to honor God and reflect Him in our lives. And again, we're on a journey with that. We need Him in that. We need the Spirit. We fall short of that. But that's the trajectory. That our, as we worship Him, it should be renewing us and transforming us to look more and more like Him. Tom Wright on this says this, The purpose of the human race is to be God's image bearers, reflecting His image into the rest of the world. And in Christ, this is at last achieved. This is indeed the very heart of worship, that we should gaze in love and gratitude at our Creator and Redeemer, and so be restored as genuine human beings, and thereby be God's agents for healing of creation. The idea is that we have the revelation of just how good this God is, that that renews us as we respond to Him. That's actually the most human thing to do, to worship and offer ourselves back to Him. And that transforms us to then be his image in the world and reflect his healing love to the world. That's, that worship starts with revelation, requires a response, which ultimately will lead to us reflecting his goodness. And I suppose the challenge, and I feel this personally as a challenge as well, is 
you could kind of work backwards, right? If we're not really reflecting his goodness, are we really responding to him? Are we really worshiping him? Because um, sadly, in the Old Testament, there's many times when they're going through the motions, they're doing the festivals, they're doing the celebrations, but they're not worshiping God. God is not ultimate. And there's a challenge that, that perhaps if that's not working out, then, then the test, I suppose, the test of our worship is really our lives and how we live. And, and, and th- that's a challenge, I suppose, that pulls us back to humbly coming back to a place of worship and making sure that he's ultimate and not other things. Again, I feel that for myself as well. So we've been talking about wholehearted worship. And hopefully you've seen some things come through that involves the whole of ourselves, um, our body, our mind, our hearts, the spirit, the truth, our lips, the things we do, uh, the way we treat people. It's, it's all of us, all of ourselves is, is to be an offering to honor him. And it's not just an individual thing, that it's actually a whole community thing. Uh, when Paul's talking to the community, he's talking about everybody all together offering a sacrifice, a unified sacrifice of worship. Like, it's amazing to just imagine, like, us offering ourselves individuals, but, but imagine just as a church, we are a burning offering of, to God, a pleasing aroma to God. We're, we're set apart for him as a community in the way we treat each other, in the way we are unified, in the way we are diverse yet united in love. And ultimately, worship involves the whole creation and that the vision that one day all creation will honor him, every knee will bow, his name will be exalted above all. And actually, as humans, we're to cultivate the creation that it would honor and reflect his glory. So it's the whole of ourselves, our whole community, the whole creation, because he's worthy of wholehearted worship. As we respond, um, uh, sort of as the end of today and the end of this, this series, uh, we're going to sing a well-known song that's, um, yeah, I think really fitting. Um, it's called The Heart of Worship. Um, it's actually about a, a, a church that got too caught up in almost the worship of worship in a sense. Like they, they were too focused on the songs and, and then they stripped the songs out for a while and they said, well, we just need to come back and it's about God. It's, it's not actually even about the music. It's about God. The music's a tool to make it about God. And they wrote this song. And we're going to um, just change it a little bit as a response today. And we're going to sing the first verse in the chorus just as it's written, which is as an individual prayer and confession. And just encourage you to make it your prayer and confession if, if that's how you, um, if it's speaking to your heart. But um, then we're going to change the second verse and the second chorus to um, a communal language. We're going to change it to we are coming back to the heart of worship. And I just encourage you to, to, to make that change and to sing it as a member of Rivers Church community, that we as a community would say, we're sorry for the thing we've made it when it's not been about you. And we're saying, it's actually, it's all about you. And let's make that our prayer and our offering as a community before him today. So if you could stand and then, um, yeah, I encourage you to join um, as we respond in that way. <laughs>